I'm always excited about God's Word because in it is life, and it's light, and it brings the help we need. 2 Kings uh, chapter number 6, it says this, One day the group of prophets came to Elisha and told him, As you can see, this place where we meet with you is too small. We need bigger space. Their Bible school was growing, thank the Lord. And they were learning from the best. Uh, Elisha, goodness. Let's go down to the Jordan River where there are plenty of logs. There we can build a new place for us to meet. How many are ready for that new place in the Spirit? Amen? Yes. Uh, You saw Jesus' revolution, many of you. Uh, We're ready for Jesus' revolution too. We need a new place in the Lord. All right, he told them, go ahead. Please come with us, someone suggested. I will, he said. So he went with them. And when they arrived at the Jordan, they began cutting down trees. But as one of them was cutting a tree, his axe head fell into the river. Oh, sir, he cried. It was a borrowed axe. Where did it fall? The man of God asked. When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it into the water at that spot. Then the axe head floated to the surface. Well, you're watching something happen that cannot happen in the natural. That's supernatural. Grab it, Elisha said. And the man reached out and grabbed it. Well, Father, grant your presence and anointing. We are blessed to live in victory because of your promises. We are reminded our adversary Satan is defeated. We are standing on the precipice of the greatest harvest of souls in history. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 36 times in the book of the Kings, the word Elijah and Elisha, the man of God, is used. 36 times. God's looking for men and women who will confront wrong like these two did. And make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is about to return. We have rapidly moved into the last of the last days. I don't know about you, but I feel like we're at the two-minute warning in a big, ginormous game for take it all, winner take all. I sense an urgency in my heart. That urgency is to do whatever we can for the master as rapidly as we can because he's returning soon. Look around you at the shameless unraveling of what made America great. Life no longer valued, whether it be someone doing what was done yesterday at an outdoor mall and randomly taking lives, or tax dollars used to be supportive of the abortion of life, tax dollars used to fund abortion overseas, disgusting and evil leadership at times that make you nauseous. Our forefathers, our founders, would have gone to war over these issues, and they did. Destroying a life for convenience while pulpits remain silent. Who speaks for the unborn? In the condition our nation is in, we need political leadership bows their knee to seek the face of God and calls on Americans to do likewise. I've got letters that presidents wrote to the nation or declarations they made asking the people to call upon the name of the Lord. Unashamedly, I can't remember the last time we saw that happen. We need to pray today now more than ever. I'm grieved in my spirit. So many political leaders are blind to spiritual needs in our culture. And they're asking, well, what can we do to fix these problems that people have where they snap and go do the things they did like yesterday. And I'm waiting for someone to stand up and say, well, we need the restoration of biblical principles in our homes, and then again, from the pulpits and in our churches and among believers, in our nation. 
Repentance and prayer are the only hope for America, the only hope for our economy, and the only hope for our future. So no political leader elected is going to fix the problems we have. These are perilous days. My allegiance first is to Jesus Christ and to him alone. My allegiance is to his promises and his word. Though That's the place where our allegiance must always be first and foremost. And do not be deceived. The latter-day warnings that Paul has given us and the word of God has given us, Jesus has given us, tell us there will come a great deception upon the people. The man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and wonders. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. That's strong stuff right there. And it's time that from the pulpits, we open the word of God and teach and preach strong truth. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. Is that describing some of the things you're seeing today? Hmm? Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Jesus predicted that there would be a growing cold in the hearts of people. And Paul added there would be a great deception and falling away of people in these latter days. Well, is it true? A lot of Americans have abandoned their faith and people who believe in God statistically now, and by all the polling that's being done, has dropped off below 50%. So the assignment of the Holy Spirit in these latter days, one of his assignments, is to anoint us to keep us from capitulating to this falling culture, to be bent in the direction of what the culture is asking of us. The opinions of men mean nothing. This planet that we live on is God's footstool, and the highest earthly power is nothing compared to our God. Amen? Yes, the days are perilous. Yes, the days are evil. The assignment of the Holy Spirit is to prepare the church for the most glorious day that will happen in the middle of perilous days. And while the days may grow worse for his church, these are the best days of our existence because the harvest will be the greatest we have ever seen. So no matter what the days look like, we're going to continue to do what Jesus called us to do to get the message to as many people as we possibly can. And in the middle of that, I will still praise him. I will worship him. I will be repentant. I will pray. I will love him. I will live for him and reach more people and serve my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I have no fear of what these days may bring. The economy, the politics, the natural and catastrophic changes in climate and in the earthquakes all over the world. These things should not frighten us or paralyze us or intimidate us, as the Word of God says. The enemy knows his days are short, and we should applaud that moment, right? So he has targeted the church, the bride of Christ, and he's engendering hatred and anti-Christian sentiment throughout our culture. I was reading an article that I want to quote from. 
It's got some interesting statements in it by a Jewish man, a practicing Jew. And here's what he had to say. He said, we knew it was bad, but it's getting worse, escalating to dangerous levels. And this is everything we've been warning you about, and it's happening right in front of our faces. The anti-Christian and anti-Semitic agenda is ramped up dramatically. And make no mistake, and this is a Jew I'm quoting from, their target is Jesus, and their diabolical plan is to subvert Christianity and lead Christians astray, pervert Bible teachings and twist them to fit their sick agendas. I thought, wow, he's got some insight the Holy Spirit's giving him, right? And you saw, if you're studying the news at all, that a Christian university in Arizona had those that were prospective teachers banned from a public school system because they didn't want the Christian influence from the teachers graduating out of this Christian university in Arizona. However, they went to court, and guess what? The judge said, you have to hire these people. Even though they're believers in Jesus and they practice Christianity, you cannot discriminate against them. It's against the Constitution. So thank God we've still got some people who've got their heads on right. Yeah. And how about the California school teacher that was fired for refusing to hide the students' gender transition plans from parents? She said, I refuse to do that. I'm a believer in the Word of God. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm not going to do that when parents should have information about what their kids are up to these days. And thank God she's standing up, and once again, we pray that she wins this case, right? Amen. But that's the kind of day that we're living in. Attempts to take away spiritual freedom, the threat of possible imprisonment for those preaching the gospel, and that did happen to some preachers up north over the line in Canada. That's all real, and this corrupting of our Constitution is happening at a very rapid pace. We are living in an accelerated period of time in history. I don't know about you, but time seems to be moving a little more quickly and things more rapidly happening than I've ever seen them at once. The way some of our people in ministry have been putting it to me, and we've been sharing the stories, we've like lived 10 years in the last three. Everything has moved so rapidly, and once a nation loses its moral ground, it does not recover it. And in many cases, the church has sat silent, the church has been quiet, and some pastors have preached more feel-good sermons than the Word of God. Our nation must make a U-turn and return to the Lord. Amen? We are not for a political party, but we are for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are for His kingdom. We are for His Word. We are for the church, His bride. And the apple of His eye is the church of Jesus Christ. So to every politician, no matter party affiliation, no matter gender, no matter color, this book has it right and every other way is the wrong way. Let's get it right once again in America. So Calvary, we will not wax cold. We will not lose our faith in this final hour because this is supposed to be our best season ever in the history of the church. I will not forfeit the precious anointing of the Holy Spirit because of being pressured to be accepted. Our task is not to please people, but to please Jesus and to declare the word of the Lord. I believe in the supernatural power of God. I still believe that, just as I always have. My text bears out one of the great miracles of Scripture. The prophet Elisha and the sons of the prophets were in a spot between two places. And I like the way the word describes it. We're in a place too small for us. Do you know why we have a church that's filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit? The New Testament church is to be nothing less than a Spirit-filled church. It began that way, and God's intent was to keep it that way. We believe in being born again through the faith in Jesus Christ and His blood. We believe in being baptized by immersion in water. We believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit 
with the initial physical evidence of speaking in other tongues. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit as described in 1 Corinthians 12. We believe that divine healing is for today. We believe that our God still performs miracles today, and God by His Spirit can change circumstances supernaturally in a moment of time. We believe that God is still speaking to His people today. I believe there are divine... Listen, come on, thank the Lord. I believe there are divine intersections where God speaks to us, and we are shifted to a new and a better place that he's prepared for us seasonally and spiritually. That's why I keep telling the congregation here that we're believing for Jesus' revolution too, because what he did back then, and some of us witnessed it, we're part of it, know what God can do in weeks and months and over a period of a few short years. And God can do that again even greater than he did the first time. Amen? God help us if we ever lose the axe head, the sharpened axe head. If we lose these kinds of services, if we lose spirit-given gifts operating in the church, if we no longer make room for the Holy Spirit to operate in the body of Christ, if we lose any of this, we can cease to be a New Testament church. God has sovereignly placed the gifts of the Spirit in the church for the building up of the saints, the body of Christ, his bride. Without these gifts being in operation, his bride cannot become the spiritual house that he's intended it to be. So watch this. Take your denominational eyeglasses off and read God's Word. The danger in many churches today is man's way, God's way. And we need to lay aside man's way and make sure we're on the side of God's way. Let the Holy Spirit be sovereign in his church. Let us be his disciples, learners. Paul was instructing the church at Corinth and how they should operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ. Paul was not forbidding or restricting the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. He was describing the banks and the boundaries by which these gifts should operate so that they don't go out of the boundaries and out of the banks. And Paul also knew prophetically that there would one day emerge a lukewarm church. The lukewarm church would get so packaged and so predictable and because there have been some extreme misuses of gifts of the Spirit, fleshly expressions masked as a gift of the Spirit, some who were on the fringe, there would be those who used that opportunity to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, that kind of special healing holy water that you can buy, or that special anointing oil that for your $500 gift you can have access to. There would be those who mingled in and tried to exploit people in the body of Christ and the manipulation of people. And so you look at this, Paul knew the church would come to a place where there would be people swinging, but no contact because they lost the axe head. They no longer have that sharpened tool. The axe head is our power. It's the axe head that takes down the strongholds of the enemy. It's the axe head that knocks down the trees, right? And the enemy has a design in us to cause us to want to lose our power, to take us from supernatural power that should be residing in the church, without which we are dead. We're stranded where we are. The nine gifts of the Spirit listed in 1 Corinthians 12 no longer in, the, in operation in the body of Christ when it comes together collectively leaves us abandoned and without the ability to fight back. We must have the supernatural work of the Spirit of God beyond the scope of human ability. It's not our ability, it's His divine ability that builds the church. Amen? We're the workers. We're the people that jump in. We're the people who roll up our sleeves and do what he asks, and then he gives the increase. And I look at this, and as we were hearing it at council, the desperate cry for a return 
of the Holy Spirit in our churches. And I look at this beautiful picture. Elisha has his disciples. They're younglings. They're in training. They're learning to use the gifts that God would give them from the teacher, the master teacher. For a period of time, they've lost their edge. That's the story of what I just read to you. But the seasoned and wise master, he helped return the edge of effectiveness to them and said, you must have that edge back if you're going to do the job that needs to get done. It's an incredible story of watching how we can regain the edge. Lord knows we need to recover our edge again in the culture. Amen? And we need to teach the next generation how to use that axe appropriately and wisely. We must have the supernatural work of the Spirit of God. We must have that once again in the church. These, these were operational in the New Testament church, and they need to be fully operational at Calvary Christian Center. The gift of wisdom, the gift of knowledge, discernment beyond human ability. And God has imparted these to his church supernaturally. They're going beyond anything naturally we can produce. And I've witnessed the Holy Spirit work his supernatural power in the church. And because of his manifested power, his church grew as it did in the book of Acts. I've had a word of knowledge more than once in my life. And I was made to know what was needed for a specific challenge that was being faced. I've witnessed incurable diseases healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom beyond our wisdom. Knowledge beyond our knowledge. Discernment beyond our ability. Miracles, healing, the prophetic. Gifts of faith where people express their faith beyond their own ability to act, exercise faith. We should be asking the Holy Spirit to bestow these gifts and utilize them once again in and among us as his church. I don't want us to be a headless axe handle. We will not achieve much as a headless axe handle. And all too many churches today are but a piece of lumber trying to chop down strongholds and knock down principalities with no sharpened axe head on the axe handle. The Holy Spirit-empowered word is sharp enough to knock down every resistance that comes against our lives. The sons of the prophet said, we must move somewhere else. This place is too small for us. We're growing. We need room. We need a, gr a larger group of people to be taught. Has anyone here ever been in one of these kind of churches? Don't raise your hand. Don't want anybody exposed, right? But the kind of church where when you say, we're going to pray for the sick and anoint people with oil, they look at you like, you're kind of weird. We don't do that in our church. And many today have felt a compression of these kinds of denominational settings and restrictions. It's become limiting, and we've got to grow past all of that. Something in us has got to stir and become hungry for more, because there is more. The routine, people come in, they have click worship, sit down, look up at a preacher, talks to them for 15 minutes, they get up and they go away. And we have added smoke and lights to change all the routine up a little bit so we can keep people's interest. You want real excitement in a church service? Watch someone get healed. Watch someone get delivered. Watch someone get restored. Watch something happen that only God can do. But it just got a little too small for some of us. We got tired of sitting out there week in and week out, like my family and my heritage, hearing the same not-too-challenging message with little visible change in anybody's lives. God has called us first to salvation and secondly to spiritual maturity. In order to grow, there has to be the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of every believer revealing the Word of God so we can grow. 
When the sons of the prophets were speaking of the place being too small in this text, they were talking about near the banks of that river, holding the river in its course. And they felt squeezed where they were, pressured that we need more expansion, more room, more opportunity, more sons of prophets. And there are those who are attempting to squeeze God into a very specific denominational box. This is who God is. This is how God can do his work and how far it can happen in any given service. God used to perform miracles and used to heal the sick, and he chased devils out of the lives of people. But today we just have, you know, psychological issues and emotional problems. No one in America gets possessed by devils, right? Right? We better wake up, folks. It's all around us. We try to define these things in natural terms when in many cases there's the supernatural at work. And it's not on the side of God, it's on the side of evil. In those environments, you will rarely hear anything about spiritual warfare or the demonic. Jesus confronted devils everywhere he went. In fact, before he healed, read it, he would clear the atmosphere of devils, cast them out first, and then he healed everybody that came to him because he broke the back of the power of the adversary. When was the last time someone just laid hands on an individual and witnessed the supernatural power of God to restore somebody? That should happen frequently and regularly among the family of God. And something has been stirring deep down in my soul. I've witnessed and personally participated in the casting out of devils in the lives of people. I have watched Satan's power get broken. It's a joyous moment when that happens. I have witnessed those evil spirits vacate a twisted and tormented soul. And I like it because in the New Testament, Jesus did not suffer devils to speak very much. He didn't start having a lengthy conversation with them. He got them out of the people as fast as he could. I've watched glassy eyes clear and lips that were screaming in a language and in a tongue that was not of God and in a voice that was demonic soften and proclaim the name of Jesus. When they were freed from the control of possession because they were raised in the home of a witch who practiced witchcraft every single day in that home. And that young lady was exposed to that from childhood and lived out her life until she was confronted with Jesus and watched the devils come out of her. It was a miracle you never forget, right? I've watched the sick recover. I've seen addicts instantaneously delivered. God, restore us with that axe head once again, where the church can stand powerfully against all the works and dynamics of the devil. Because Calvary, you have power to walk on serpents and scorpions. Because Jesus gave you power over all the power of the adversary. The place was too small for them. So they began to come out of those small places and gather where they could grow and expand and develop, become what and who God called them to be. So the word says they desired to go down to the wide part of the Jordan. We want to come out of the constraining stuff and get into that river. Where is that river? Where is the river we need to find? Well, Jesus made it very clear on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. And he said, are you thirsty? Do you want more? Are you not tired of just living on pause? I'm thankful I'm saved. I've been water baptized. And now I'm a member of my church. Are you tired and hungry for a little bit more now that you've heard the same old stuff, routine, for the last decade. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. 
come to me. On the last day, the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's speaking of the river of the Spirit of God that we need to flow in the body of Christ once again. And Jesus is saying there, the river I'm speaking to you about is going to appear in you after I ascend to the Father. When I have ascended to heaven, I'll release to you the river of the Holy Spirit, and out of your core will flow the river of my anointed presence. That should be who we are as the church. And he was saying, if you're tired of the constrained space, then you're ready for the river. And he said, then come to me. Seek Jesus. Seek the face of the master. It says this in 2 Kings. Take a beam and let every man take a beam from there. And let us make so Elisha where we may dwell. So Elisha said, go. Okay, This is for all of us. Let every man take a beam and let us make a place where we may dwell, right? Each was taking a beam. Each was doing what was necessary. When people have come out of denominational backgrounds, and I'm not against denominational, no. However, God never intended denominations to be the end in themselves. Denominations should only serve to be steps in the right direction, and that direction is always forward and onward in Jesus. Should always just serve to get us to where we need to go, make it a little bit easier for us to get there, not more difficult. The denomination should only serve to enable individuals and the church to grow into the bride Jesus intends her to be. In these end of days, I saw a beam coming out of the Catholic Church. It was called the Reformation Church of Luther. I remember the family members that were participants in receiving that message of faith, the Reformation Church of Luther. Luther takes his beam and he declares, justification by faith. And he takes the beam and he says, this is to reinforce the church that we are saved by faith. That revelation made the church stronger. And when the revelation hit the church and all of a sudden people realized, I don't have to burn a candle to get saved. I don't have to whip myself to get saved. I don't have to crawl up church steps doing penance. I don't have to pay a fee to pray my loved ones out of purgatory. Freedom is justification by faith. Thank the Lord. Amen for the breakout. Then the Presbyterians stepping up with their beam. And I'm specifically speaking about the inception of the Presbyterian church, not the current one, because the Presbyterians in its inception as a fellowship were the first to say, we're going to have the Lord's Supper regularly. They brought that beam back to the church because through the Dark Ages, long after the Book of Acts church, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper disappeared in many fellowships. But the Presbyterians in church history brought the Lord's Supper back to the church. Thank the Lord. And we were reminded in Acts 2 that the early church they shared communion in their homes every single day. Then here comes the Baptist beam. And the Baptist said, we're going to start baptizing new converts in water, just as Jesus commanded. That was scriptural revelation, and they were correct. So here they all came, each carrying their beam, baptism in water, declaring the remission of sins. Then the Methodists showed up, and they carried a beam. Charles Wesley, the early Methodist church, preached sanctification and holiness, and the early Methodists were called holy rollers. Uh -huh. Then came those who were called evangelicals, and it was these believers who declared 
the revelation that it was through the repentance of sin and the confession with our mouths that salvation became ours. And it's where altar calls really began to take place in church buildings and in auditoriums, people repenting in services and stepping forward to publicly confess they were becoming followers of Jesus, being born again. It was another revelation of the Holy Spirit he had given the church. And that brought another reinforcement, another beam to the church. Then here came the wild bunch of Pentecostals. And at the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, south of us on Azusa Street, they brought a beam. And that beam was on fire. It was called the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that beam went all the way back to an upper room in the city of Jerusalem where there appeared tongues of fire. And out of that sprang the Jesus revolution, then the charismatic movement, and they revived the truth that through faith, nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Wow. And then came the beam of anointed worship where people begin to lift their hands and clap their hands in church and make a joyful noise to the Lord. And people begin to step into the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit was embraced and healings were manifested in the church once again. And you can recall how long after Azusa Street and getting beyond what happened with Alexander Dowie who built a 5,000-seat auditorium in a little town that was not a town where people would fill it every single Sunday morning for the healing miracles that took place in that, that building were incredible. And then you saw the healing evangelists of the 50s and into the 60s with huge tents going all over the country. And after that great move of the Spirit that happened in the late 60s and 70s and the charismatic movement, and everything that moved us almost into the 80s. A spiritual routine then started to substitute for the reality of Jesus' presence. And the head of the axe started to slip off the handle. Extreme doctrines of prosperity, weirdness, crazy stuff, unaccountable leadership where there was no check and balance. And that's why denominational, in our case, we call it a fellowship because denominations can restrict. Fellowship means we have accountability one to another. And through compromise and lowering the bar, desiring more acceptance from the culture, so that they'll think we're okay people and want us to be a part of their circle. And for every denomination, the beam that started with, the axe head slipped more and more and more until it was seemingly lost. More power was lost. More of the anointing slipped away till we found ourselves in a morass of complacency. And that's what has affected the church now for a couple of decades in our culture. And I'm quoting from a friend of mine who's an evangelist, and he wrote this article, and he said, when vessels operate outside the power of God, nothing they do matters, because those vessels are firing blanks. And he quotes Arthur Matthew, and he said this 50 years ago, quote, my burden relates to the flood of evil that the devil is pouring into the world, and at the same time, the passivity of many of God's saints as they view this state of affairs and their ignorance of the part God expects them to play in the warfare against Satan. End quote. <clears throat> Imagine what he would say about the church today if he said that 50 years ago. And then I go on to quote my friend, is there still hope? Can we do anything about all of this? Can somehow we revive the powerful weapons of the Lord? And he says the answer is yes. Absolutely. And he says, these are some of the components that are needed. Vessels of God need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Vessels of God are created for a specific crisis. That's why the Jesus revolution was so impacting 
it stopped the fall of our culture and turned our nation off the tracks it was on back toward the things of God, and there was renewal in the land. So when God chooses a group of people in a season, it's for a specific task and for a specific crisis. Vessels of God are soul winners because when there's genuine movement of the Holy Spirit stirring up the body of Christ, people begun, begin to become born again, once again, in mass. Then he says, vessels of God will call out false ministers and false doctrine, and they will even name names. And I thought, whoa, yeah, whoa, okay, all right. When you read Paul's epistles, you recognize something very important, that about 50% of everything he wrote was straightening out false teaching and false doctrine. If Paul were around today, the church of our day would be getting another letter. Okay? And to make the point, he says this, Demas has forsaken me. He names him, having loved this present world. Crescens is departed for Galatia. And then he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Hmm. And then, of course, in John's epistle, the third one, I wrote to the church, but the atrophist who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words, and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren. Vessels of God, he goes on to say, well, I guess Paul called out a few people, didn't he? Vessels of God operate in true supernatural gifts of the Spirit. And David Wilkerson said, quote, if Paul had preached and taught without signs and wonders, his message would have never had its full impact. Absolutely true. Yes, there have been gross abuses of the gifts of the Spirit. That does not mean we should shy away from seeking the true gifts and presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. In every denomination, the beam they started with, if you track them historically, the axe head slipped more and more until it was lost. More power was lost, the anointing slipped away, and complacency set in. Hear me. I'm not preaching to you to be negative, but honestly and with reality, look at the state of many churches in America over the last decade. Every denomination has had setbacks over the last decades, and especially in the last three years. We can't point fingers at any denominations. No, we have to join our arms together and declare to the God of heaven, we need to locate and restore the axe head to the beam again. We once again need to recover our edge. And no matter what the denominational stripe, I can tell you this, we'd better get the gospel with power back in our churches in America. We'd better get the gospel of purity back in American churches today. We better get the gospel of holiness back in American churches today. We must reacquire the truths of the gospel and the anointing of the Holy Spirit back in America's churches. Are you hearing this today? Amen. And it first and foremost must start in our homes. If you look at the text, you'll see that the axe head fell off. The iron axe head fell into the water, into the river. Now notice, God's saying, if you want the power back, you've got to go get it where it's found. It's in the river. We've got to get back to the river. If we want the impact, if we want an impacting swing, right? Get back to the river, because the only place we're going to be able to get the axe head back onto the axe handle, is from the river. And notice what the scripture says that Elisha the prophet did. 
So he cut off a stick and threw it into there, and he made the iron float. Now, I'll, I'll make an analogy out of that. That stick can represent Calvary. With it, he touched the water. And I'm thankful every day, and we'll celebrate that again tonight, thankful for the cross. And now we also need something from the river. When the priest was anointed in the Old Testament, they anointed the lobe of his right ear, the thumb of his right hand with blood. Then they anointed his large toe on his right foot with blood. But that wasn't the end of the anointing. They followed that with the anointing of oil. And the anointing oil was placed on his right ear lobe, on his right thumb, and on his right large toe. Because the oil followed the application of the blood. Because wherever the blood is applied, then the oil, which represents the Holy Spirit, that is what's supposed to follow. And once you've been washed by the blood and covered by the blood, sequentially, biblical experience, what should happen next for us in our lives, we should cry out and hunger for the oil of the Holy Spirit. Remember the story Jesus told of the last days that we'd be living in, and he was trying to prepare the church for this day of the ten virgins, some of who were in the bride chamber and did not have any oil left in their lamps, which means they ran out of anointing of the Spirit in their lives. Read it. The, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, hmm, While we're waiting, they all became drowsy. Church has had a nice long nap in America for a couple of decades and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. That's why we need Jesus' revolution too. Amen? All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy for yourselves. But while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord! Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. Warning to the church. Jesus makes a clear warning to the church. There's potential for a shortage of Holy Spirit oil in the church and some will have dried up and failed to continue being filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm refreshed by the fact that when they discovered they didn't have what they used to have, it slipped away. Immediately they reacted and were trying to find a way to solve it. I'm praying for every person who understands that you've lost something. If once you walked in the presence of the Holy Spirit, if once you prayed in the Holy Spirit, now you don't. If once you used to walk hand in hand with the living word of God, and now you don't do that. You don't find time. If once you had a worship life, but now it's just routine, I'm praying as your pastor, you'll come to a revelation that you need something that slipped away, and you're only doing what you're doing out of routine, and you're realizing that you're in the forest, and you're trying to cut down a tree with nothing but the blunt axe handle, and without the axe head, you're not going to make a dent in that tree. And that's what worship is when it's performance and it's not anointed. That's what preaching is without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's just tapping when you ought to be cutting. That's what praying without the anointing of the Holy Spirit is like. You can pray until you're blue in the face. But when the Holy Spirit comes on your life, there's a blade that shoots up out of that piece of lumber and suddenly 
hell has attempted to grow up in your life is going to get chopped down because the anointing makes the difference every single time. Amen. It's time to close. When Elisha touched that river with that stick, because the oil comes after the blood, because when we come through the blood, we jump into the river of the Holy Spirit. Elisha was teaching all of us a picture of Revelation. It's in the river, in the river of the Holy Spirit where the miraculous and the power of the Lord takes place. The word says that when Elisha touched the branch into the river, the axe head floated to the top. How many know that's supernatural? Because metal doesn't float. Can you see it? I believe that bubbles begin to rise up first. Then the axe head swam up to the top and floated on top of the River Jordan. The next thing you know, it's doing a backstroke across the Jordan. So it gets into the reach of the sons of the prophets. And Elisha says, pick it up. If we're going to build his church, we can't do it with the clever speech of men. We can't build a church with good music and technology alone. We can't build a church with just dynamic programs we put together. And that's what they were doing. They were building a house of God in Elisha's day. If we're going to build a church, we better get something out of the river called the anointing of the Holy Spirit because it's the anointing that makes the difference because it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through us that enables us to be the kind of bride that Jesus desires to come back for. How many want to be that bride? Want to be that person that Jesus is coming back for? Amen? So stand to your feet with just a few more moments with our eyes closed and holding steady. Give me oil in my lamp, Lord. I want to keep burning. I don't want the flame to go out. I want to stay on fire. Just a few more moments, eyes closed, so we don't get interrupted by movement or by what people are doing nearby us. It starts with a simple prayer of confession. Sharing with a relative the other day, basically you just say, I want to come home, Dad. I've been wandering all by myself out here and nothing satisfies. Everything falls apart. I've tried everything, but now I'm coming back to you. And he asked me, what do I say? I said, here's what you say. You were right, and I was wrong. That's where it starts. I've sinned against you. Made bad choices. And I want my life to turn around, and I want to be forgiven and restored. And that's how simple it is to get right with Jesus with God.